Freedom is a big deal in Scripture. If you remember when Jesus came, and on that first, not first, but on that first recorded Sabbath where he goes to the synagogue and he reads from the Scripture, he read from Isaiah. And he read that he has come. I have come, he said. I have been anointed. The Lord, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to freedom to the captives. So Jesus' mission intrinsically is about freedom. Freedom in all areas. Freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from death. Uh, and when we come to know the truth, the truth that he is the Messiah, the truth that he is God in the flesh, God in the human body that has been made manifest. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He is God himself. You know, that's why this scripture says that the Lord is the spirit. Jesus, the Lord, is the spirit. That's so confusing. But I thought there were three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But they're all one. So the Father is the Son, the Son is the Father, the Spirit is the Son, the Son is the Spirit, the Father is the Spirit. They're all one God, not like three different people sitting on three different chairs. They have different expressions. They have different persons in terms of how they express themselves. But they're one God. And he has spoken that truth into existence. I and the Father are one. So when we begin to grasp that truth, when we begin to, to walk in that truth, there is a release that comes. There's a freedom that comes. And we're set free from the things that have bound us for all these years. Jesus also said that if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So, getting to the message for today, the message is about great freedom. We have a lot of freedom. You know, someone once said, with great authority comes great responsibility. With great power, authority, power, comes great, he said power, I said authority. The Lord has spoken from the back. For those of you who are online, Aaron just replied to my comment. Anyway, but with great freedom comes great responsibility too. So today's scriptures are taken from 1 Corinthians. And in today's passage, it actually, this is a testimony. I came to the Lord when I was 18. That's only like 20 years ago. <laughs> it's not funny, okay? <laughs> well, I have a lot of experience at that, right? I've done that ex year after year. Yeah. When I turned 40, they got me a t-shirt that says I'm 18 with 22 years experience. <laughs> anyway, when I was 18, I came to the Lord. And uh, very early on, one of my mentors, your cousin, uh, today Dr. Darian, had uh, been in charge of the youth. He was at that time in charge of the youth. So he just put his arm around me and started to walk with me. Not physically, but like in, in the spiritual journey. And uh, he would encourage me to read. So I read a lot. 
And uh, I still love reading. And I love discovering the depths of God's love for us. And uh, at the time, I used to go to a Christian bookstore that's not around anymore. It was called EP Bookshop, Evangelical Publishers Bookshop. It was on Young Street, and it was a hard trip to make because there was hardly any parking. And then I found another bookshop, Mitchell's on Gordon Baker, and I would visit that frequently and spend hours, like Saturday morning for me to drop Silva off at some kind of shopping place and me go and sit there for an hour and, and just browse through the books or leave her at home with the kids while I go shopping. That's probably more like it. Anyway, there's a few places that I love shopping at. I hate shopping for clothes. I don't mind shopping for food. Books, hardware stores, and stationary supplies. If you're like me, just say hallelujah. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so I used to go to these bookstores, and one of the things that I found was a little tiny booklet. They used to call them tracts. People don't do tracts anymore, but they're little pamphlets, usually a threefold, like a brochure today, or maybe even a little booklet that's about this high that has multiple pages and a little soft cover. One of them was called, I'll tell you at the end of the service, one of them made a huge impact on my life. And it spoke about this passage. I'll tell you at the end what it was called and it will make sense and you'll remember. So this passage starts off with these words, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 20, to 20. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, in Corinth, there was a situation where there were new believers that were not Jewish. They were Romans. And the Romans used to worship in their temples of idols, and they would sacrifice meat, animals, and bring the meat to these idols as food. You may have seen similar things in some Asian restaurants today here in Toronto they have a little prayer table at the entrance with some oranges sometimes other fruit and some incense it's a similar idea so the Christians now that were coming from a Jewish background were having trouble with the Gentiles that were eating that food that was offered to the idols and vice versa some Gentiles now that they became Christians were having trouble with it that for the Jews, for some Jews, it was, you know, blasphemy to eat meat offered to idols. But for the Gentiles, they realized that we've been eating this all along. It's just meat. But for the Jews, the, Israeli, the Israelites, it was not kosher. So he goes, food, this is Paul, who's a Jewish man, writing to the people of Corinth, the believers. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual, sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and you will also be raised by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take a member, the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never. 
Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Wow. Therefore, shun sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually moral person sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen. This is a hard truth these days where the first part of it all things are permitted I'm under grace and we exercise that freedom very irresponsibly but here he's talking about the fact that whatever we do whatever action we take whatever decision we make has to be put in certain bounds. People talk about the river having two, sh two banks. You know what I mean? There's the one bank and the other bank and the river's in the middle. If there is no bank on one side, the river will drain out. <laughs> if you know what I mean. It won't flow. So you need two banks. What are these two banks? In the scripture, the word tells us that the banks are the word and the spirit. The spirit who lives inside and the word that we are guided by on the outside. The Lord is the spirit. He has given you the same spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He works inside. So what he's saying here as we look at this passage, he's using a specific example, eating meat for the stomach. He doesn't get into it here. But he opens it up and he talks about union. He talks about union in the flesh with another person. And he talks about union in the spirit with God. Now, this word in, in verse 17, anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The word united here is such a powerful, powerful word. The word united. When you think of united, you think of cooperation that's not the word it's a much deeper word than that when you think united you think of maybe united airlines right but this word is such a powerful word that most of us don't even appreciate the fullness of its meaning because we don't have the context culturally my grandfather in Egypt was 
a little shoeshine boy when he first came to Egypt from their home after the genocide. He was a teenager, so they gave him a box with some shoe polish. He walked around the streets shining shoes. It grew and it became a business. And the business became an actual shop where people go in, sit on a chair, put their feet up on these little upside down shoe patterns, if you know what I'm talking about, like you see them at the airport now, and they shine their shoes. But then it grew into a repair shop. I never saw it because that was all gone before I was born. Remy definitely didn't see it. But I heard about it. And the shop was still there. We visited it once in a while because some other relatives were there. But they had the tools. Some of the tools were these sewing machines that sew leather to, show, to sew the sole of the shoe to the shoe. But then they had this thing that really smelled amazing and I loved it. It was, you know what crepe is? Crepe is that, not rubber, but this gooey thing that hardens and it becomes the sole of a lot of shoes, especially suede shoes, they would use crepe. Don't ask me how I know that. But mixed with a spirit, a solvent, it becomes a very powerful adhesive, glue. And some shoes they can't sew because the way that they're designed doesn't have the lip where you sew it and it's visible. So you can't sew from the inside of the shoe. The, the, I'm sorry, this is very graphic and I'm visualizing it. Maybe you're not seeing it. But ladies' shoes, for example, they can't sew because it is very fine and it has a very thin sole. So they have to use this adhesive. And this adhesive is, has a name. And the name of this very strong adhesive, it sticks like you wouldn't believe it. It is phenomenally powerful and it doesn't separate. The woman can wear the shoe in the street, in the rain, nothing would separate it because it's now glued. If you have made a mistake and you try to rip it apart, once it's glued, when you try to pull it apart, you will invariably rip the leather. The leather will be separated from itself and it will be stuck to the other part that you're trying to remove. That glue, the name of that glue is cola. Not cola, but cola. It's a Greek word that the Egyptians adopted. But it's the word that's here called united. Whoever is anyone that is glued, made one with the Lord, becomes one spirit with the Lord. That's huge, guys. Why is that huge? Because the Lord is the spirit. So when you have been made one with the Lord, when you have been collad with the Lord, you cannot be separated from him without being torn apart. Both of you. You know when you have a strong glue and you glue two pieces of wood together and you take them apart, sometimes you see the grains of one piece on the other and the grains of the other onto the one. It's exactly like that. You're both inseparable at this point.
Anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's his point here. His point is as one, a person who's now been made one with the Lord. Wherever you go, you are stuck with him and him stuck with you. I don't mean stuck in the sense of being burdened. But you are, like it's, things are stuck together. You have been made sticked. The past tense of stick, stuck. That's what I'm trying to say. So in that sense, you're taking him with you. Whether to be a light or in sexual immorality, to walk in darkness. You're pulling him in with you. And he won't budge. He's stuck with you. He won't complain, but he won't like it. You will be grieving the spirit, but he's using sexual behavior to make the point really understood. In other place, he says, the two shall be one flesh. Why? Because he's talking about the marriage union. It's like that. If we're one flesh and one of us goes to see a prostitute, guess what? We're both going. And that's what we do spiritually with him. We take him places that are not appropriate for us and for him. So when he says this, all things are permitted. I have freedom. But what is freedom without the boundaries and the banks of the river that it needs to flow in? But not all things are permitted, are, are beneficial. All things are permitted because I have freedom. I can choose. He's never taken that freedom away from the world, from all humanity. He is the most pro-choice you can imagine. He's never taken that freedom away. The question is, what are you going to do with the choice? The question is, what are we going to do with the choice? Paul in that letter really develops this. 16 to 20, or 12 to 20 was the passage from 6, chapter 6. But he develops this in this whole book, in this whole letter. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 8, he now takes on the idea of the food offered to idols. He expands it and stretches it even more. He says, concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. <laughs> wow. But anyone who loves God is known by him. Paul is amazing in his uh, logic. Hence, as to eating of the food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists. We who have this knowledge of the one true God know that all these idols, they're just fake nonsense. There's nothing behind them as a deity. They're not empty of power. They have demonic spirits and powers pushing behind them to captivate imaginations and hearts. And, but we also know that there is no God but one. Yeah. 
He goes on further. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. He doesn't say who, whether Jews or Gentiles. But they know from observations that now that they have been joined to God, eating these meats that have been offered to idol, the food that's been offered to idol, is not appropriate. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty, what's another word for liberty? Freedom. Uh, don't take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Interesting. Therefore, if food is a cause of their failing, I will never eat ever again eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fail. They were offering meat to the idols. And if the weak suspect that this meat that he's eating is one of those meats that were offered to idols, for their sake, he decides not to eat any meat at all, lest it become a defiling stumbling block for the person who is weak. A stumbling block is when you're walking in the street and they put the blocks in the street to pave the street, you know, the big pavement. If one of them is sticking up higher than the other, you trip on it and you fall. It's there. It belongs there. But it's not level. It's up a little bit. Have you been to, to one of those, like a sidewalk that has been raised up by a tree? Right in front of our house, there's a huge tree that has grown from the time we moved in. It was there, and it's now massive. And the roots have grown so high that the city has come, this is I think number three times now. They have repaved the sidewalk because the sidewalk has gone like this. And when the snowplow comes to plow the sidewalk, every time because the sidewalk is like this, bang, the blade hits it. So they've tried to smooth it over. So that it's not a stumbling block for the snowplow. It's like that. So that I don't become a stumbling block. A stumbling block is higher than what it should be. It's not level. So my behavior doesn't bump up anymore than the other. So I'm equal to the other. That has advantages. And it also has disadvantages in some other contexts. But in this context, for the sake of the weak, he says, I will not eat any meat. Offered to idols or otherwise. I'll just, just eat vegetables. I'll pull a Daniel. And in the same letter, Paul expands even further. And he says these words again in chapter 10. All things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted, but not all things build up. So we saw this in chapter 6. We see some other concepts opened up in chapter 8. We see the same concept being opened up in chapter 10. 
So the little book that I told you about, the little booklet, guess what it was called? It was called the 6-8-10 principle. That was easy to remember. 6-8-10, 6-8-10, Corinthians 6-8-10. That, from the age of maybe 19 to 20, is when I bumped into that book. 20 years later, I still remember it. (laughs) It's been a lot more than 20 years. But I still remember it. And it guides my decision. I'm not always perfect. I'm not always making the right choices. But these principles stuck with me. I pray that today it's imparted to you as well. And you now absorb 6, 8, 10. It's easy to remember 6, 8, 10. But what is it saying in 6, 8, 10? We saw 6 and 8. Look what he says in 10. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Very bad for uh, a competitive person. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. He's telling people, just go eat meat, man. Go to the meat market, pick up your meat and eat it. For the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions. Don't become holier than thou and when they invite you, excuse me, but is this meat coming from the idol temple? Yeah, is it, is it halal? <laughs> without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean for the other's conscience, not your own. But why should my freedom be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? That's unfair. It's my conscience. It's me and God. Why should I let anybody else live and let live, but let me live? Don't tell me how to live for your sake. Grow up. You mature up. That's not what he's saying. He's saying do it for the sake of the other who is weaker. If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that which I give thanks? I picked this meat up. It's been offered to idols. It's been killed a certain way. It hasn't been killed a certain way. And I thank God for it. I should be able to eat it. So he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greek or to the church of God. The Jews that are religious and will tell you it has to be kosher, can't be offered to idols. The, the Greeks who just don't care about it, we've been eating it all along, it's good meat, just eat, man. Or to the church of God, which are at different stages in this whole process. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. So when we look at this, when we look at these principles, the key operating word that we saw through the thread of 6, 8, and 10, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 10, are these words that all things are permittable or permissible, permitted, but not all things are beneficial. 
So when you are going through a decision-making process, is it okay to have a glass of wine as a Christian? Should I be going to this event as a Christian? Should I be dressing this way as a Christian? Am I allowed to do this as a Christian? You have permission to do it all. But not everything is not sin. There are some things that are just sinful. But you have freedom to do them. You will pay the consequence because you will reap what you sow. That's given. But you have the freedom. You have the freedom to take him with you to the prostitute. You have the freedom. Is it good for you? Is it beneficial? <laughs> Hardly. What about uh, smoking? Did I touch a nerve? What about drinking? Oh, I'd love to have a glass of wine with my meal. That's fine. Enjoy the wine. But can you have a meal without one? Can you have a day without a cigarette? Can you have a month without a cigarette? I will not be dominated by anything. Addictions. Today it's legal to smoke marijuana. <clears throat> yeah. Is it permissible? Oh, God created the plant, man. That's a great argument. But is it beneficial? Well, for some cases, yes. Medicinal marijuana. Recreational marijuana is a different story, and that's what we're talking about here. Is it beneficial? Let it be according to your conscience, right? That's what we read earlier. Am I giving you license here? I hope you're not going to turn this around and say, Haney told us to go and smoke up. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. My, <laughs> my term, terminology has progressed? Yeah? But is that what you said? Okay. Just wanted to know. <laughs> but I will not be dominated by anything. Another translation says, I will not be enslaved by anything. Because certain behaviors open the door to all kinds of things. This is a tough one. All things are permitted, but I will not seek my own advantage. Hmm. Or cause anyone else to fall. All things are permitted, but not all things build up. These are just some of the words that we read in this passage. This is going to be a fun message to see you guys live it out. <laughs> because some of you are going to take license and justify behaviors that you've been wanting to do and just maybe have been ashamed to do or afraid to do. I'm not trying to tell you go ahead and do. I'm just trying to tell you there are consequences. And as the freedom that you have also comes with responsibility. Why? Because ultimately everything we do is to glorify Him.
So does this glorify God? If my rolling up some marijuana and lighting it, will it glorify God to my neighbor who knows I'm a Christian and now sees me behave this way? He might come and join me. But somebody else may feel that, oh, wow, this guy's a hypocrite. I don't know. Your circumstance is your circumstance. But in our society today, it's, it's legal. It used to be illegal before, and we can argue with the young people and tell them, don't break the law. Now that's changed. It's legal. It's as good as, you know, it's even safer than alcohol. Is it? I don't know. Is it for you? Will you be enslaved by it? Does it glorify God? Ask the questions. So let's put it in different ways. Let's put these six points in different ways. These are questions that you can ask. Is it beneficial? Yes, no. Continue. If it's beneficial, yes. Okay. Will it dominate me? Yes or no. If it's no, pass by. If it's yes, continue. Am I seeking my own advantage in this question? Am I looking just for my own gain? Will it cause anybody to fall? Yes, no. If you got a no, just bump off, keep going. Ignore this decision. Does it build up? Yes, no. No? Forget it. Yes? One last question. Does it glorify God? If we ask these questions about some of the decisions, all the decisions that we make, especially the decisions that are tough ones, decisions that we're trying to figure out things that are not black and white. Murder is black and white. Lying is black and white. There's a lot of black and whites in the scripture. But there's also some gray zones. In the gray zones, we grow in the process of knowing how to decide what to do. You know there's a shortcut to all of this. You don't have to go through the six-question routine. There's a very powerful shortcut. Jesus modeled it. When they asked him, how do you decide to do what to say? You know what he said? I asked myself these six questions. No, that's not what he said. He said, I do what I see my father do. And I speak what I hear my father speak. So the easy answer, you don't need six questions. The easy answer is get stuck with God. Get connected with him. Walk with him daily. Get into his word. Live in the river. You know, when our kids were growing up, they would ask, is this okay? How far can I go? Well, how far can you go from the fire before you'd feel no heat? That's one way of looking at it. How close to the fire can you get without being burnt? The question is, stick close to God. Walk with Him. Watch what Jesus does. Have Him imprint your thoughts. Have Him imprint your life. Have Him imprint your behavior with His. Watch what He does. Henry Blackaby, a pastor out in BC years ago, has written a book called Experiencing God. In it, he says, look for where the Spirit is active and join Him. 
you know, you have no choice to join him because you're stuck with him. You're glued, you're kollad with him. So as we move from here, I pray that the 6-8-10 principle finds place in your heart for those times that only for those times that it's difficult to hear his voice directly. Then you have a fallback. It's a safety net. This is not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live natural. You know, when the kids were here, I was saying that you only feel your stomach when it's not working right. When we are working right, the spirit who's inside of us, he's working so well, our decisions and his decisions, our thoughts and his thoughts, our words and his words, our actions and his actions are one. That's where we want to be. Where we are so tightly, intimately connected that our words are his words. That's why we want to stir up the prophetic so that we f function out of the place of hearing his voice and speaking it. That's why we want to stir up the gifts so that we can function by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's not stopped working in this world. He's still working through the power of his spirit, through his church, to manifest the wisdom of God to the fallen angels and to all creation, us. He is releasing the power of his wisdom through the expression of the church functioning in fullness. So, we need to repent of the old garbage that we do. We need to let go some things. We need to clean up some areas so that he has freedom to lead. He wants to lead the dance with you. But he won't let you, he won't leave you if you start leading. He will never leave you, never forsake you. It's not about that. That's dealt with. Okay? There's no fear of losing my salvation unless you deny him outright. He's with you. So chill on that. But now, let him lead. He's an amazing dancer in this process. He's a gentleman. If you take over the lead, he'll let you. If you hand over the reins, he will lead. So let's stand up and pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the manifestation of your spirit in our lives. We thank you for the free gift of grace that you have given us. We were saved through grace. You're not about to take that away. You continue to walk with us in grace. We thank you for that. Where we have strayed, we come back to you and we say, apply that grace to our lives once again. We repent. We want to shift back. We want to walk in full, tight fellowship with you. We want to walk glued together, visibly expressing your glory in our lives. 
Father, we pray that through us, you're able to release the power of your spirit to touch and change lives for the sake of others, for the sake of your son's glory to be made manifest. That last question, does it glorify God? Lord, we want to live there. We want to live so tight with you that just as Jesus' life glorified you, expressed you, that's what glorify really means, manifests you, we want our lives to glorify you. Jesus, you prayed that the glory that the Father has given you, now you impart to your disciples. We receive it. We receive that glory that it may shine through us in all our circumstance. We pray this in your name, Jesus.